Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Let's dig into God's Word together. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 5, and as you're turning there... It's story time with Matt McClay. I want to share with you a story from high school um, that has to do with me um, breaking a rule um, that my school had. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I went to a pretty strict um, private school, uh, private Christian school. I'm not going to name any names, drop any names, but uh, as I grew up. But um, they had some pretty strict rules, especially having to do with like a dress code. Like they were very specific, like you weren't allowed to wear big logos. Like your logo had to be less than, I think it was two inches or three inches in diameter. And we had one teacher who would literally get a ruler out and measure your logos. Um, you had to, the guys had to have their shirts tucked in and with a belt. So um, there was one time I forgot to wear a belt to school and I forgot to tuck my shirt in. So one of the teachers came up behind me, literally grabbed my pants and like pulled them up because I guess they were like going, you know, back then like you were, you'd sag your pants a little bit. Pulled them up and said, you need to tuck your shirt. I said, well, okay, but I don't have a belt. He's like, well, I'm going to take you to Lost and Found and get you a belt. Okay. I had on black pants black shoes, and a gray shirt. The only belt that was in the lost and found was a, like a bright, like brown belt. Like, and you know, it's like a fashion faux pas or whatever. So I was like, man, I'm not gonna wear that. You know, I'm not gonna wear this brown belt with my, my gray and black. Like, he's like, well, you're gonna wear it or you're gonna get in trouble. And I said, well, isn't the whole point of the rule to like, you know, the, these rules so that we look presentable? I said, I'm not gonna look presentable. I was trying to reason with him. He's like, He's like, all that matters is that you have a belt on and that your shirt's tucked in. I was like, okay. So I thought I was going to test that rule the next day um, to see just how strict they were with their dress code. So I got a pair of camo khakis and I put them on. And I got a camo button-up shirt and I put it on. And I got a camo belt and I put it on. And I walked into school to see what they would do. I got called down to the principal's office. And he's like, now Matt, you listen. He's like, you can't be wearing this to school. I was like, I was told that as long as I had to have a belt and it had to be tucked in and everything would be good even if it wasn't fashionable. And he said, well, the heart of the rule is so that you look professional and that you don't distract people. And I got sent home to change. So there's a difference between like the way that a rule is written and the purpose behind the rule. You understand what I mean by that? Like sometimes the way that rules are written, you can abide by the rule and still not fulfill the heart of the rule. Like your parents have a lot of rules for you probably, I would imagine. And there are times when you obey the rules that your parents give you, but like in your heart, you're definitely like not obeying them. You're like going the exact opposite, right? Like, like when you have to, I used to have to take the trash out. Like I'd take the trash out, but I wasn't being very obedient as I was taking the trash out. Well, I was taking the trash out, like talking under my breath, right? So there's a difference between rules and the heart of the rule. What we're going to be talking about tonight as we jump back into the greatest sermon ever in Matthew's chapter five, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how that means being the same person from the in, on the inside as you are on the outside. I don't know if you ever met a Christian, I would imagine you probably have at this point, met, met a Christian who does all the right things on the outside, but the, as soon as you kind of get to know them really well, you realize 
they may act a certain way, but on the inside, they're totally different. Like, they're, like what, what, they, what, what they do and what they say doesn't match up with what they believe. So being a disciple of Jesus means being the same person on the inside as you are on the outside. So we're going to read uh, God's word together in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we covered verses 1 through 16 last week. We're going to cover verses 17 through 26 tonight. And as we get into this, I want to just give you a heads up. Uh, the first section that we're going to work through is like the foundation of the whole sermon. Have you ever read to write a paper? Uh, why am I asking you this? You have to write papers sometimes and you hate it. It is the bane of your existence. You know, you, you, it was a result of the fall of humanity into sin in Genesis 3. It's right there. You're like childbearing, you know, work in the ground, death papers. It's in there, Genesis 3, look it up. And, and, and I, I hate writing papers, y'all hate writing papers, but what you were probably told as you wrote a paper is that as you do the introduction of your paper, you have to give uh, your thesis statement. Have you ever heard that term before? I know we don't want to talk about school tonight, and I'm going to stop right after this. Your thesis statement. You're supposed to boil your argument down into like one or two succinct sentences. And what Jesus does here is he gives his thesis statement or his bottom line of the whole sermon in verses 17 through 20, and then in verses 21 through 26, he starts applying his bottom line, his big idea, to certain areas of our life. So we're going to look at Jesus' big idea, his thesis statement, and then we're going to apply it to the first area that he applies it to, and it has to do with our anger. I got some of y'all's attention. It has to do with our anger. Are you an angry person? Maybe you're not a naturally angry person, but there's someone you're angry at. When I said the word anger, a face popped into your mind maybe. So what I want you to do just for a minute here, just for a second, just for a hot second, when I said anger, what face came to your mind? What person came to your mind? I want you to take that person, not by the neck, I want you to take that person, just put them in a box, wrap them up, poke a few air holes, we don't want them to die yet, okay? And we're gonna come back to that person. Yeah, throw them, a little, throw them a little snack so they'll be okay, poke some air holes. We're gonna come back to this person here in a second. So they're over here in the box, right here, okay? Y'all got your person in a box? All right, so let's come and see what Jesus' bottom line is, and then we're going to go get this person out of the box and figure out what we need to do with them, okay? So Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 17 through 20, and then we're going to come back after we pick it apart and read verses 21 through 27, because that's going to have to do with our person, okay? Here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. This is Jesus speaking. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, to fulfill them. For I truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same thing will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever does and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your, unrighteous, or unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Before we unpack this, let's pray. 
Uh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it transforms us even by reading it. Uh, But Lord, we know that the longer we think about it, the longer we meditate on it, the longer we apply it to our lives, it continues to transform us and transform us and transform us. So over these next few minutes, as we think about it, as we meditate on it, as we we apply it to our lives, God, I pray that you'll transform not just the way we think, uh, but you'll transform the way that we live. It'll start on the inside. It'll change our heart, and then that'll change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus' big idea here, Matthew, I'm going to kind of circle here. Jesus' big idea is in Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. And here's the big idea. We've kind of, I've kind of boiled it down to like three statements that summarize Jesus' big idea. And here is the first statement. The first statement is that God's standards are high and consistent. Jesus is answering... Uh, like an accusation that was made against him. You ever had somebody make an accusation against you? Jesus is answering an accusation that's made against him. Because Jesus was speaking to an audience of Jewish people who had all of the Old Testament, all the scriptures that, that, that God had given to them and all of God's law where God gave them the standards of right and wrong and good and bad and evil and righteous. And all these Jewish people, and Jesus was a Jewish person too, they're saying Jesus is teaching new stuff. If Jesus is teaching new stuff, Does that mean we're not supposed to believe the old stuff? They're saying Jesus is trying to undermine. Jesus is trying to like like push away all the stuff that our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents taught us that they received from God. It was called the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. And what what does Jesus say here to like respond to them? He says, I don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I've come to fulfill the law the law and the prophets. So the first thing that Jesus says is he's not here to get rid of everything in the Old Testament. There are some people that are like, man, Old Testament's weird. Like it talks about eating this or not eating this. And it talks about, there's a lot of blood and there's a lot of guts in the Old Testament. I mean, that, that, that's fun to me. That's like, that's interesting to me. Some of you are like, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We just need to focus on the New Testament. It's Jesus, it's love, it's flowers, your rainbows and unicorns. Let's stick with the New Testament, unhitch from the Old Testament. Jesus said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, that's not what I said. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. Jesus meaning to say, he came to help us understand more deeply what God told the Israelites in the Old Testament. And what we realize is that God's standards of right and wrong are very high. Look at what Jesus said about God's standards of right and wrong and how high they are. First, he says, your righteousness must exceed that of who? The scribes and the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders. They were the people that knew the Old Testament Bible inside and out. That would be like Jesus coming up and standing in front of you and saying, unless your righteousness exceeds Pastor Lemming, you can never get into heaven. I'm screwed. Like, I'm in big trouble. And you probably are too, right? So we see, first, Jesus is telling this Jewish audience who think, oh, maybe if we do this, maybe if we do that, our good outweighs the bad, maybe we'll get into heaven. And Jesus is saying, no, unless your righteousness exceeds those of the scribes and the Pharisees, these people who meticulously try to keep the law, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So we see that Jesus' standards are really high. As you go through, and we're going to be doing this week by week, we're going to be going through some of these standards that Jesus sets. What we realize is that Jesus says it's not just important that you follow the letter of the law, you know, back to my school days, but you also have to follow the heart of the law. We're going to learn here in a, here in a, minute, in a minute, it's not just good enough that you don't kill people. <laughs> 
You also can't be angry with them and hate on them. Jesus comes later. We're going to talk about this next week. It's, it's, it's not just good that you don't commit adultery. It's not just good that you don't sleep around with people. It's the lust that's in your heart. That's the problem. See, the standards are high. Jesus says, you've heard it said before that it's okay to get back at somebody if they've done you wrong, but I tell you, you need to turn the other cheek. You see the, how high God's standards of right and wrong are? It has to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, the people that meticulously follow the law. It has to be more than just following the letter of the law, but following the heart of the law. So we see that God's standards are high. I, I, any, any track and fielders in here? Anybody do high jump? Any high jumpers? Okay, we've got one. So uh, the high jump record was set by a man named Javier Sotomayor. He was a Cuban man. And his, his uh, high jump record was eight feet and 0.25 inches. Eight feet and a quarter of an inch. I mean, that is, I, I can't even reach how high the dude could jump. Incredible. When we think about God's standards of right and wrong, what we have to realize is God is a holy, holy, holy God, a thrice holy God. His standards for right and wrong are high. His standard is holiness, not just in our deeds, but in our actions. But they're also consistent. God's standards are consistent. One of the charges that was being leveled at Jesus is, well, you know, God gave us these commandments here, and now you're teaching this. You're, you're, try, you're trying to change the truth that God gave us before. And what did Jesus say? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. If Jesus was to get rid of all of the Old Testament standards of right and wrong that God gave us, first off, it would undermine God's character, wouldn't it? The Bible says that Jesus, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ever since God created the world and created us, right and wrong, good and evil, moral and immoral, have never changed. The way that we've responded to it has changed very often, but it's never changed. God's standards are consistent. God doesn't give us what we're going to see later next week. God doesn't give us a pass at the whole immorality and lust thing just because we live in an immorality-saturated culture. You see what I'm saying? God's standards are consistent. They're high and they're also consistent. God does not change truth because God is truth and God doesn't change. So, if we continue looking in this, what was Jesus' plan here? You know, what was he up to? He says, whoever, he says, uh, until the kingdom of heaven and earth pass away, not an iota. Anybody know what an iota is? Do what? Well, I'm not, a, I'm not a chemist, but it may be. But in this case, it had to do with the Greek language. You're probably right. I, I'm going to defer to you on the chemistry, and, and, and I'll, I'll stick with the Greek. You're probably right. Uh, the iota was one of the smallest punctuation marks in the Greek language, along with the dot. They were the smallest punctuation marks. And what Jesus is saying is until heaven and earth pass away, nothing of God's law, God's standards is going to change. Not an iota, not a dot. Until it passes away, and then it says, until all is accomplished. What did Jesus mean by all? Well, it started with his death on the cross, but it ends when he returns and sets up his kingdom, and we rule and reign with him, and he establishes justice on the earth. So God's standards are high and consistent. Right's always been right. 
Wrong's always been wrong. I probably sound like your grandmother at this point. But you know what? Your grandmother's one smart lady. So next time you see your grandmother, say, my youth pastor said you are one smart lady. So big idea. God's standards are high and consistent. The next part of Jesus' big idea is that we're responsible to keep God's standards. Anybody know who this is on the screen? You probably don't because this is from a game in 2012. Uh, this was the last perfect game in Major League Baseball. Um, this perfect game was thrown by Felix Hernandez of the Saddle, uh, Seattle Mariners in 2012. Y'all were just like about this tall when, when this perfect game was thrown. He, 2012. Um, and he, uh, he threw a perfect game. What does a perfect game mean? My baseball people, just shout it out. It means to, no hits, no walks. No hits, no walks. Perfect game. Right? So did I get that right? Did he get that right, all baseball people? How to pitch a perfect game. What I realized, though, as I was looking it up, a perfect game is really not a perfect game. Does it mean you didn't throw any balls? Did it mean that every time, as he was throwing the perfect game, that his motives weren't prideful for throwing a perfect game? Really no such thing as a perfect game, is there? But we're, we have a responsibility to keep God's standards. Uh, first off, it's, we're supposed to keep all God's standards. We're supposed to follow everything that God says, not just the stuff we like and the stuff we don't like. Yeah, people don't, I hope people don't do this literally, but some people, I think, do this spiritually. They read through the Bible, and it's almost like they're ripping pages out of the Bible. Oh, I like what God says about, about, about that he's going to come back and judge people because I got a list for him. I'll keep that one. I like what God says about being nice to people. I think people should be nice to me. God says, love your enemies. Shrimp. Right? We often, we often think sometimes we're not responsible for all the truth that God has. And sometimes we think maybe there are some people that are less responsible than others. But look what Jesus says here. Let me change my color up. Look what Jesus says. He says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. God's standards apply to everyone. God's truth, the truth, applies to everyone and the whole person. It applies to all of you. What Jesus is getting at with this audience is a group of people who were okay as long as they did everything right religiously, but their relationship with God was non-existent. And Christians still do that today. Non-Christians still do that today. People go to church because they think it makes God happy. People go to church to make themselves feel more Christ-like and more righteous. Yeah, people go on mission trips to make, to make, make them feel more righteous. Yeah, people do this and people that do, do that to try to pretend like they're something they're not. And what Jesus is saying was, what happens in your heart is important. Because if your hands don't match your heart, what you're doing with your hands really doesn't matter. So it's the whole person. The final thing from Jesus' big idea is that apart from him, apart from Jesus, there's no way to keep God's standards. Do you realize what an impossibility Jesus is presenting here? You have to keep every commandment of God. You have to be holy in every way. Not just in what you do, but with the way that you think, with the way that you feel. And your righteousness has to be above all of the religious leaders. All the time. All your life whether your parents are upset with you or not, whether drama's being started in your school or not. 
Do you see how not just high of a standard, how impossible of a standard it is? As we go through the Sermon on the Mount over the next few weeks, I want you to remember two factors. They're both S words. I got S words and then later tonight, we got some F words for you. So it's a great night at Refuel. Just banner night at Refuel. So as we're going through this, I don't want you to forget the sun factor. That because we couldn't keep God's standards, God sent his son, Jesus, who we're hearing from, God in a bod, God in the flesh, to die in our place. So that when Jesus died on the cross, my sin was nailed to the cross with him and your sin was nailed to the cross with him. And when he died, our sin died with him. So instead of us trying to measure up to God's righteousness, Jesus lived a perfect life, measured up to God's righteousness and his life is exchanged for our life when we believe in him. Make sense? So don't forget the sun factor, but also, ah, don't forget the spirit factor. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. You become a, the temple of God. And God's Holy Spirit, it's called the comforter, called the helper, helps you live a life that's pleasing to God. Without Jesus dying in your place, without the sun factor, you'd never measure up to God's standards, but your life has been exchanged for his. Now you have a new life. God moved into your life and he gives you the power to do things with the right motives. He gives you the power to not be angry at people who have wronged you and to deal with conflict in a righteous way. He gives you the power, even though we're living in a sexually soaked culture, not to commit immorality and not to lust. He gives us the power to be true to our words. God, through his Holy Spirit, gives us the power to live this life that he's telling us to live. So that's like pretty awesome. Like, like this is a church full of old people that, that you know, hear, hear, hearing this truth from God's word, the old ladies have their hankies waving. You ever been to a church service where the old ladies are waving their hankies? It's like the greatest thing ever. They're slinging snot everywhere. So that's the big idea. The big idea is that there is a high standard of righteousness that we're responsible to keep. But because we could not keep it, Jesus came, died for us, and his Holy Spirit lives inside us so that we now can live for God. Make sense? Make sense? Okay, going back to the box. You ready to open this box up? Don't kick the box. I'm in the box. Don't kick the box. This is, your, this is the person that you're angry with. Slowly, carefully, because this person's mean, right? Open the box. Set the person right here next to you. Put your arm around that person. Okay, I hope the person you're mad at is not like sitting next to you. Um, so what we're going to do now is we're going to apply this big idea that the heart of the matter is just as important as the law and we're going to apply it to anger. So now we're going to read this section right here. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Dang. Wow. Say that. Say that. Say it, say it again. We'll say wow. That's serious, right? So if you're offering your gift to the altar and remember someone, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar before and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with, quickly with your accuser so that while you're going with him to court, lest you, your accuser hand you over to the judge, judge the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you pay the last penny. 
So what we see here, the, the, the rest of the principle is the big idea in real life. You're gonna see Jesus uses the same grid for every issue he talks about this week going forward. He'll say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, You've heard it said, this is the law, but I say to you, this is the heart of the law. And then Jesus tells us how to apply it. So you've heard it said, you shall not murder. You know, one thing I'm really excited about at Refuel, like I always think y'all are the best. I feel like, yeah, yeah, I can't imagine yeah, not being here on Wednesday nights. One thing I'm very proud of at Refuel is we've never had a murder at Refuel. I'm serious. You think I'm joking? We've never, isn't that great? Like, I really think that maybe, like, you know, we've kind of been around. We haven't always been called refill. We've kind of been around, you doing this in the kind of the similar way since 2011. I think on all of our you know, materials, all our Instagram posts, it should be refill student ministry. Murder free since 2011. I mean, I really think that'd be a great way to get the word out for people to come. Um, isn't it interesting? Jesus starts off with the command that probably everybody thinks they're good with. You know, you ever read through the Ten Commandments? Like, some of them are tough. Like, you have to, you have to um, honor your father and your mother. I mean, especially the teenagers, that's tough. Like, uh, you, you shall, shall not covet? Man, that's tough. The murder one I got, baby. Like, I, I have not killed anyone. Anybody here killed anybody? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> most of us feel pretty safe with that one, right? It's like Jesus kind of started off with an easy one. But I say to you, Jesus is going to get to the heart of this one here. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Can we still say there have never been any murders in the building? Keep on reading. Whoever insults his brother... That word for insults means to use, pretty much use the word we'd consider moron. Whoever calls his brother a moron will be liable to the council, to the Sanhedrin. I hate to say it, we may have had some murders at refuel. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Man, maybe refuel hasn't been murder-free since 2011. A lot of us think we've never committed a murder, but according to Jesus' standards, we've committed a lot of murders with our attitudes towards other people. Guys, up here, up here. We've committed a lot of murders toward people through the things that we've thought and the words that we've said. How do we know that Jesus is using the same standard applying to murder as he is to our thoughts and our words? Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Getting kind of serious, isn't it? The words that we say may not physically kill people, but the sad truth is that I could just about guarantee that there are people not in this room tonight because of things that were said by people in the room tonight. And murder, King, and murder through words doesn't, through words doesn't just affect the people who have been the victims of our anger. Ultimately, it affects us. Yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I'm obviously not in law enforcement and I'm not a detective and I, you know, we, we have some people that could probably speak up to this a lot better, but what, what, what I've read about and what I've seen and um, heard about is that there is a degree of remorse that some, not all, but some murderers have that lead them to eventually either getting caught or confessing because they can't deal with the guilt. And can I tell you as, as a guy that is now out of high school and out of college and adulting to some degree, even though I just don't feel mature enough to ever adult fully. But as a guy who's been out of high school for a few years and out of college for a few years, now I have to see people who in high school I murdered with my words. And that affects my ability to love them like Jesus would. That affects my ability to minister to them and to be there for them. Our words not only hurt the people that we murder with our words, our words eventually come back to us and haunt us. To boil it down to one thing, how you treat people is a test of your alignment with God. You know, one thing that I haven't had to do for a long time, and I, don't even, I hate to even use the C word in church, but you remember back in the days of COVID tests, you'd have to, you know, we don't even think, the, I, don't, I don't even know that things work, but they say they're accurate. So I'm, we're going to pretend for, here, for a minute that they're accurate. And I've had to take COVID tests before, and um, you know, you have to stick, you, know, you pretty much have to touch the back of your brain, you know, with a little Q-tip thing, and then you have to put on the little thing, and then you'll, you'll get one line if you're COVID-free, and two lines if you're, you know, COVID-positive or whatever. You know what the, the COVID test is? One of the COVID tests is for alignment with God. It's when you stick that long little Q-tip thingy up into the nose of your life. And the way that you treat people is what the test comes back with. It says if you're in alignment with God or if you're not. So then the question for me and the question for you is, are we in alignment with God? Are there people who we have killed with our words and that we have killed with our anger according to God's standard that is high and consistent and never changes that we're responsible to? If that's the case, and I would imagine that's probably the case with you as it is the case with me, what do we do? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't just <laughs> you beat us up and leave us for dead because this verse does hit hard. But Jesus tells us what to do. Two F words for fighting I'm going to leave you with. The first F word is first. And it comes right out of this passage here. Verse 23, Jesus says, If you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In Jerusalem, in the Middle East, there was the temple where people would come and bring offerings to God. And that was considered the highest act of worship. The most religious thing you can do, the most devoted thing that you could do is bring an offering and sacrifice it to God. And Jesus is saying, don't do that thing. Because there's something that is more important and it's the relationship that has been damaged. It's the fighting between you and a brother or you and a sister, not literal sisters and brothers, but you, you and, and, and other people of God that causes your offering to not be acceptable in God's sight. To apply it to our time today, Jesus maybe would say, so if you're getting ready to sign up for the mission trip and remember that your brother has something against you, 
Wait to sign up for the mission trip and go be reconciled to your brother or sister and then go sign up and serve God with a clear heart and a clear conscience. If you want to work VBS this summer and you have something against a brother or sister in Christ, don't sign up to work VBS. Be reconciled to your brother and sister in Christ and then go serve with a clean conscience. Do you see where Jesus is going with this? Our first priority should be fixing broken relationships with the people of God. It's the question tonight, is, that, is there somebody in the room that you need to make things right with before you go on through those doors and start living for God again? The next F word is fast. Settle differences quickly before they get worse. Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. What Jesus is emphasizing here is to take care of things quickly. When drama starts, end it quick. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe you're, you got pulled into friend group, nobody gets pulled into friend group drama, right? Like your friend groups are drama free, right? I'm glad to hear that. They're drama free, right? No, they're not. They're not. What Jesus is saying is the longer the drama goes, the worse it gets. The more intense it gets. The higher the stakes are and the meaner people get. So before things get out of control, go to the person and make things right. So the question tonight, how are you treating people? What's your relationship like with the people in the room tonight? What's your relationship like with this poor person that you've had trapped in a box for 30 minutes? Is there someone you need to make things right with? According to Jesus, you don't need to do this tomorrow. According to Jesus, don't wait till spring break. According to Jesus, don't wait till you get your paper written or your math homework done. According to Jesus, you need to do it now. You need to do it as soon as we see, say, put our hands on somebody and pray for them, say amen and leave the door. If the person's in the room, do it before you leave the room. If the person is not in the room tonight, start, start on the phone and maybe try to, yeah, if you can't meet, meet with them person to person, at least start the process over the phone. You will never grow in your relationship with God. You will never be aligned with God if you're unaligned with the people of God. Does that make sense? It's not easy. I'm not, I didn't ask if it was easy. I know it's not easy. But does it make sense? Do you see how this is the truth of God's word? What's our responsibility? Obey it. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. God, you are so holy and you are so righteous and your standard is so high. Um, we admit as sinful people, we could, we could never live a life pleasing to you. We could never meet your holy standard. But we thank you so much. It's almost, it's almost ridiculously um, uh, small of us just to say thank you. We, 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 we want to say thank you every day. We want to dedicate our whole life to you because you sent Jesus when we couldn't meet your standard. When we were destined for an eternal place called hell, you sent Jesus to bear our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to die a painful death for our sin so that through him we could measure up to your standard through the life, the perfect life that he lived. God, it's still, still not easy. We have your Holy Spirit, but there are difficult decisions we have to make. When people wrong us or we get, we get caught in a fight or a conflict, the last thing we wanna do, God, is make things right. We just wanna win. But God, in your word, you've called us to make things right. 
You've called us to do this, living this life pleasing to you. You've called us to do it quickly and you've called us to do it before we do anything else in service to you. So God, I pray that you'll give students and leaders in the room tonight courage to make things right with their brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can be back in alignment with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.